Borag Dog Earthlets. Before we start the show proper, I just want to dip in and do some quick time-sensitive housekeeping and announcements. Both of these are meant for if you're listening to the show when it comes out in late January 2020. If you're in the future, please disregard. First, there's still time to get in your nominations for the 1988 Spinnies. As a reminder, the categories are Best Writing, Best Art, Best Overall Thrill, MVP of 1988, and Best Year. Get them in by su- by Saturday, February 1st to get them read on the show. Second, I want to call out a couple active Kickstarters and fundraisers for 2000 AD related and adjacent projects. These were all projects I've personally contributed to. So while there's no guarantees in life, at least we'll be in it together if you back these ones. Um, you can find links for all of them in the episode notes. First, the 77 comic. Coming out of the 1977 to 2000 AD Facebook group, this comic attempts to recapture the feel of the late 70s anthology comic that 2000 AD was born in. It's got a mix of new and classic talent, and it's extremely exciting. I'm really looking forward to this one. Next up is the GGA Galactic Grappling Alliance. Indie Comics creator and friend of the show, Damien Edwardson, is merging two of my favorite things, sci-fi action and professional wrestling. I've been really hyped for this one for a while, super stoked about it. It's been funded, so, you know, just trying to get some stretch goals and things like that. Finally, rejected by Comic Scene Award winner and friend of the show, Baden James uh, Melanie. It's a collection of submissions for Future Shocks and other sci-fi, uh, one-off sci-fi stories writ, um, with art by a ton of amazing artists. This one isn't a Kickstarter, but a, a uh, direct pre-order purchase. So check that out, out as well. All these can be, all these projects can be found through links in the show notes of this episode. And now let's get to the 1988 Winter Special. Borag Dog Earthlets! My name is Conrad, this is the 193rd episode of Space Spinner 2000, podcast where we try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, though, we're taking a break from the weekly progs and once again venturing into the exciting world of special editions. In this case, the 1988 Winter Special! It's the first winter special, and like the other specials, it's a mix of classic stories, tryouts of new talent, and uh, now sort of low-priority connecting stories for certain thrills as well. <laughs> um, it's the first uh, – we're in this first round of specials since the Fleetway buyout, and to me, this like winter one does kind of feel a little bit like a money grab, I guess, especially like – Trying to supplement the uh, the usual bounty that they make on comics and the annuals, mostly, but it, it mostly seems seems like that to me just because this special is priced at one pound and ninety five pence, which is way is is twice as or more than twice as much as the sci fi and dread annuals, which are seventy five pence and the same number of pages and stuff like that. You know, it's just oh, uh, you're buying comics, eh? How about some extra money? <laughs> um, <laughs> Quality paper, comrade. Quality paper. I guess that's true. And yeah, <laughs> but speaking of which, uh, impor- more important than my conspiracy theories about British comics publishing <laughs> is my guest for this episode, friend of the show, Lay. Welcome aboard, man. Hiya, hiya. How you, comrade? How you doing? Oh, I'm fantastic. You know, it's uh, it's the it's the Sunday after Christmas. I'm in my bathrobe. You know, it's 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 a freezing cold, like uh, 50 degrees uh, Fahrenheit here in Los Angeles. Like everyone's, it's 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 a frozen wasteland. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, it's not too bad in Birmingham. The the, uh, the Birmingham Gap here is still uh, still 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 just about habitable. All but, right. Uh, <laughs> still still infested by skizzers and so forth and so forth. And yes, so on. yes, yes. Every morning, every morning I go past the uh, the Peace Gardens, which is featuring skis when they're when they're driving the van around trying to evade capture. And they drive past the Peace Gardens, and I go past that every day to work. And I always think uh, think of uh, I think actually I think of space spinner more than I think of skis now. Oh, all right, hey, because you, know. you, you you were so taken by it. So it's, yeah. uh, it's a fantastic little advert for uh, for Birmingham. Was uh, that well well done, Alan? Excellent. And, uh, and Jim. <laughs> cool. So yeah, so so welcome to the show. Can you tell us your uh, 2080 history? I guess with, with this? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, all uh, right. I'm a child of the 70s. Uh, I was a bit too young to get 2018 when it came out, I'd say. Uh, I was only a five when it came out. Mm-hmm. But obviously, being a, a, a UK child of the 70s, comics were everywhere. Uh, what you'd have uh, at school, uh, when it rained, you'd have a comics box. <laughs> and they'd pull the comics box out from under the, uh, you know, under the desk. Uh, and they'd hand out comics for you to read oh, rather wow. than uh, when, you, when you couldn't go outside because of rain. And obviously, being 70s Birmingham, it always rained, so we were always <laughs> digging through these, and they were quite old comics. Some of them, but probably, you know, would have been worth a lot. now thinking about it, <laughs> really ancient comics in there, but also some newer ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you were, you know, you were brought up with comics. You used to read Wizard and Chips, Monster Fun was the one I really liked. So the sort of the humor comics uh-huh. as a, um, but the thing I really loved when I was a child was, was Doctor Who. Um, oh, nice, Tom yeah. Baker. Tom Baker. Really, I think more than more than I think. I just just uh, I loved his Doctor, um, and I learned to read reading the the Target novelizations because obviously back in the day you couldn't uh, you you couldn't yeah you can't you watch know. the old shows no, on TV yeah, exactly no, no, no video no no Netflix uh, or, or tapes yeah and I could barely watch it on TV we'd, we'd we'd always go to our nans on a Saturday um, oh no <laughs> and at five o'clock when the uh, theme tune started that was my mom's cue to go oh, we've got to get to the shops before they shut oh so no I got out. We just get home just in time for the theme music at the end. If you were oh. lucky, you might catch the cliffhanger. So, um, but I love the books. The books were just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Doctor Who magazine, Doctor Who Weekly, came out seventy nine, I think it was. Um, and that had uh, are you familiar with the stories that are in that? The, the yeah, I've I've heard some pieces of it, stuff. and I, yeah, I know there's a ton of 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 of, of crossover and talent between those in like 2000 ad like like you say yeah like 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 wagner and mills wrote a lot of things i've i've, I've heard of like city of the damned and other things like yeah. that yeah no those early stories were just fantastic i was just sort of better than the stories that are on that are on the the, the, the telly <laughs> if i never I, I i assume i never got to see them but uh, <laughs> that, was, that was what i always thought um and obviously you had alan moore as well sure. uh, doing 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 some 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 fantastic stuff and david lloyd steve dillon um and I was reading that, and I was happy with that. Then Tom Baker quit, <laughs> and uh, even worse, the comic went monthly. And as a kid, waiting a month between comics, uh, it's just you just can't do it. It's just too long. It's like a it's like a year, isn't it? Sure. Uh, so I recognised the names: Wagner Mills, Gibbons, Alan Moore. I'd rec- oh, wow. you know these because yeah. they were all there. Um, I recognised those from the comic box and from um, uh, sort of relatives' comics as well that I'd, I'd read. I have a vivid memory of the War Wheel in um, the Judge Child. Oh, of course, yeah, so, I love that thing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so 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 uh, and, uh, and and some early Carlos Esquera like stainless steel rat episodes, really sort of vivid. 
Uh, so I thought I'm, I, asked, I asked my nan because my nan used to get me the the weekly. <laughs> uh, I, I said, "Can I change the comic? Can I change over to 2000 AD?" Um, first one I got was Prog 195. Um, so just before obviously the big 200 right. when Crazy uh, right. Mutant started. But the first story was um, is it the uh, the Bad Boys bust? Yes, yes, yes. That, <laughs> the infamous page that got them into trouble with so the Plymouth or Portsmouth Council. <laughs> Where the uh, the sheriff is being roasted by the bad boys. <laughs> uh, that was the first page. Oh, that's uh, amazing. That was, that was it. I was hooked from that point on. Uh, just <laughs> you know, th- there were no other comics required. It was just just fantastic stuff. Sure. Uh, and as I say, never looked back. I've sort of been a a reader ever since. Nice. That's awesome. Mm. So, did you get the uh, the annuals and the specials like when you were growing up? I, 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 intermittently, I, uh-huh. I had to go back and get some of the. Special, uh, special annuals. I, I, I don't think my parents picked one any hints to, to buy me the, the dread and the, uh, the, 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 the. I think I had to go back and get them uh, mm-hmm. when I, when I started being a collector because I was never a collector, you know, because comics were so all encompassing. You didn't think of yourself as a collector. You just read them week in week out. Right. Yeah. You uh, just sort of picked them up through through, um, uh, through momentum, I guess. Well, it was only really when I, I, I'd say Games Workshop made me a collector hmm. because the role playing game. And they did the Judge Dread role playing game. Well, sure. First, it was the, 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 they did the, the the board game, Dread board game. You know, then you know, I started started buying their other games. Right. Got into the just the 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 uh, what the Warhammer stuff. They're getting White Dwarf every every month. Um, and it was a bit of a virtuous virtuous circle. You had you had 2000 AD mm-hmm. uh, and Games Workshop were influenced by 2000 AD and gave you some 2000 AD material. Oh yeah. Um, Obviously, in the, as the eighties sort of uh, moved on, I became a big heavy metal fan. <laughs> heavy metal, two thousand AD. Sure, heavy metal loved Games Workshop. So all those things were sort of sort of feeding off each other. Yeah. So by the so by the late eighties, by the time this special came out, I was uh, fully indoctrinated into metal, Games Workshop, and two thousand AD. They were the three pillars at this point in my life. So it was a. It was, a, it was a good time. Good time to be a to be a, to be a reader uh, still at this point. Absolutely, yeah. It's 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 funny how much cross pollination there is with that stuff. I remember uh, everything comes back to two thousand AD. Did an interview with uh, Ron Smith, mm. and he was talking about how he used to do um, like album covers for heavy metal records. Yeah, yeah. and it's just funny because he sounds like this like old English grandpa talking about yeah. like <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine t- talking about heavy metal and like you know. <laughs> I could imagine him raising his eyebrow a few times yeah. at the, uh, the, the some of the song titles. I could imagine, right? Or just you know, drawing a, a guy with a with an electric guitar that's also a machine gun or something like that. It's very <laughs> like no, it's 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 just one of these funny like uh, pieces of history, I guess, from yeah. from this sort of eighties era. Yeah, it's a great time. <laughs> awesome. So is the um so is the copy of the of the winter special that we're reading today is this one that you've had for a while or just a, this I think a new this, this was an original this definitely was one I got because by this point I was collecting I think I think I, I think actually by this point I, I, I might have been closing on getting all filling in all the the gaps in oh, my, nice. my collections I mean gone back um, and started buying the old ones first to get all the strontium dog stories because uh, strontium dog is uh, it's always been my number one. Um, nice. But then then once you've done that, you might as well get the rest, haven't you? Yeah, come um, on, you know. So, <laughs> so at this point, I was old enough to get the bus into town by myself. So, yeah, I would, I would have got this myself, probably from Nostalgia and Comics. It's got a big um, kind of uh, bend down the front cover where I remember it fell down the back of my cabin bed. And I uh, <laughs> sat, sat there for a couple of weeks before I realized it that uh, it had gone missing. 
Um, so yes, this is definitely <laughs> definitely my original. Uh, oh, that's amazing! I love when yeah, I I I love when folks come on here and have their have their classics, have the one that that survived for <laughs> you know so many years. That's just so so cool. I think. Um, you know, especially just because you know, I mean, as as much as you talk about a collector, I know that um even by the late eighties there's there wasn't there was starting to be, but just not not a, a huge culture of comic book collection yet in um, and, and, and two thousand AD was not particularly collectible. I mean I was I was a poor child and I was I was able to get myself a full set um, right. before the eighties were out. So, you know, it wasn't even, you know, prog one I picked up for ten, fifteen quid. Um, yeah, I remember it 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 seems so cool that era where you have to like go to like jumble sales or things like mm. you know random places to to fill in random yeah. issues and some just might end up being a white whale it's not like you know <laughs> like these days i just sort of like oh like okay like i'll just go on ebay and i'm just mm. you know yeah it kind of killed off the collective book for me i used to around. love that yeah it just yeah. i mean it, it makes it easier to collect, but it makes the collection less of an achievement, if that yeah, makes sense. Uh, I used to do all the car boots looking for things, uh, trying to find the uh, the Strontium Dog uh, computer games. Oh, wow, and it yeah. End, and never I found them on eBay in the end. Got them on eBay. Uh, it didn't feel like a victory, to be honest. It was like, oh, I spent all this time <laughs> trying to find them, but... I've had to give up there, haven't I, just to get them. Ah, uh, uh, it's very, you know, these, you know, these are... Uh, th- this technology, you know, it's a story. It's a classic. It's, it's the classic future shock scenario. You Be know? careful what you wish for. Indeed, uh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, air horns included. Things like that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, just so you know, um, we're coming into this episode. We just finished Prague six oh seven and our coverage of nineteen eighty eight. So, you know, uh, Judge Anderson is uh, hanging out with some with some space aliens, preparing for eventually for the. Uh, to fight lizard dudes, I guess that's coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, Dread was dealing with a saber toothed tiger. We saw Purity Brown betray both Nemesis and Torquemada and Deathbringer. And um, uh, uh, we ended the first part of Moonrunners, and Night Zero just started. So we're sort of in a in a transitionary time in 2000 AD oh, right now. So those extra four pages. That's the that was the killer, I think. Yeah, um, it, that's a, a a good point actually. Like we've been noticing that there's just been a ton. Of extra filler in these in these yeah, issues and, and things that they've had to sort of it's almost yeah. like it caught them off guard that the loss of Carlos and uh, Pat and Alpha over in the uh, crisis that they've sort of yeah yeah was on the back foot a little aren't they definitely it, it yeah because I'm because we're seeing stuff from like special for, from like old annual issues like we're yeah. really leaning hard on these uh, on the uh, on the daily star dreads and stuff like it definitely Which is, yeah, they, they can do that as often as they like at that point that was that was just. I wanted as much Daily Star Dread as they could, to be honest. That was great when they did that. Definitely. I yeah, are getting these uh, these Ian Gibson ones in, which are yeah, really, really ones. a lot of fun and just sort mm. of like like move a mile a minute, which is pretty great. Yeah. Um, but so for the special, we open with a cover by John Higgins with a, you know, your standard special character montage. We got yeah. Zenith, Dread, Anderson, Rogue, and Johnny Alpha. Anderson's got yeah, some the, uh, animal uh, eyes glowing on her head. Yeah, it's good stuff. <laughs> Yes, the uh, show us your guns special. Exactly. Well, uh, Dredge pointing his gun at you. Anderson's kind of going, well, I have got a gun. I could use it if I want to. Got these psychic powers. Rose going, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got psychic powers as well. Who knows what I'll do. Rose going, well, I've got this gun. It's got a little chip in it. And then Johnny's kind of just poking his gun out the top there. But he's using his... He... Oh, yeah, he's, he's using his... He's got his alpha his... eye on us, you know. Yeah. And you've got Zenith at the top corner there showing his guns. There. Yeah. 
it's awesome. Yeah, fun, fun cover here. Real good stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Johnny Gans, great covers. I'll say he's he's always a, a good go to. Prog six fifty is one of my favorite covers. Um, it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic yeah, red cover. The eighty eight annual as well with the, the last of the bad guys. That's yes, another, absolutely, another fantastic cover. Yeah, yeah, just the big dread on the cityscape and stuff. That's yeah. a, that's a classic one. Yeah. Um, and so then. Um, I believe the inside – so we've got a big like, you know, a fight thrill power with chill power, table of contents. But I believe a big ad for stamps as well in here. An um, insane giant ad for stamps, full color, full page. I think they must have – all the stamp companies must have pulled their resources and gone, we've got one last chance <laughs> to, to keep the kids on board. And we'll, we'll, we'll just blow all our, all our advertising budget in, in one blow. See if we can get the kids back, and and that was the last we saw of the stamp collecting uh, ads. I think. I, I I hope so. You know, I don't know. <laughs> it feels like such a change. Like 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 that's the real evolution of 2000 AD. Like it from is, yeah. from those early years where there'd be like five different stamp collecting ads on one page <laughs> to like <laughs> barely getting through. I I haven't been asked to 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 to, uh, to I haven't been asked what the uh, what the official term for the USSR is in stamp. In, in, in months now, you know. Yeah, there is there's a definite evolution because you start off with that, then you get sort of the Weetabix adverts, and then by yeah. the '90s you're going to start to see the um, yeah lots of adverts for banks and putting your money in a you know being sensible, putting yeah. money in a bank. We, we've um, seen ones yes yeah, to, to get a free calculator and things. Yeah. Or like computer yeah, games. We're, we're seeing all com- sort of- yeah computer games. We got a bunch of uh, music. Like like yeah. um things and just comic book shops, which feels like sort of like the snake yeah. eating its own tail sometimes almost. Yeah, you know? and I think that that's we'll get onto that later. But I, that, I do feel that's sort of uh, you get that sense from this special, this that move from mm. comics for kids to the comics are just for kids. Yeah, they've, 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 anyone can like comics, right? And uh, and uh, sort of the uh, yeah, the uh, the fallout for that will uh, will last a few years, but yeah, we'll get onto that as we uh, as we go through it. I think <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So speaking of which, let's get let's jump right in with Thrill One Zenith. <laughs> so a uh, script robot for Zenith, uh, Grant Morrison, art robot M Carmona, le- uh, letting robot Johnny Aldrich, um, and I believe the artist here is uh, Manuel Carmona, who did some work for Mannix in the New Eagle, but hasn't really done much 2000 AD work besides this. And yeah, so I'd, I'd Googled him to try and find him. He wasn't anyone I was familiar with. He's, he's a bit like Mike White, isn't he? If you're from the Mike, Mike White, the, mm-hmm. the artist who did yeah. a, a Future Shocks with, with uh, Alan Moore. He's got that similar, very classic, um, clean, easily readable kind yeah, of art a, style. Yeah, it's uh, a very uh, 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 superhero-y kind of art style, yeah, which I think is, yeah. is, is, is appropriate for this story. Because it's interlude three of Zenith, Maxi Man, <laughs> and I guess the second Maxi Man interlude actually. Um, the first, yeah. the first two interludes for Zenith were in uh, Prox five fifty eight and five fifty nine, of course, which showed sort of like um, you know Maxi Man doing stuff in World War Two, and then uh, Pain sort of preparing the world for more superheroes and things like that, sort of in the aftermath of World War Two. But this time, we're on Axis Mundi on Alternative 23, and a giant tower rises from a huge cityscape, and all of it's made of white stone. It looks very nice. Um, a person in a uh, red and blue in a in a in a red dress and blue vest runs up to a man in a cape, calling him Maxi Man, and you know, of course, we'll remember Maxi Man is the World War II Allied super being from the start of the Zenith story. Who's dead? 
Indeed, yeah, he was <laughs> not he, universe anyway. Yeah, 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 he was nuked in Berlin, you know, along with the rest of the Berliners, I guess. Yeah. Um, it seems Smiley's son is dead, and Hotspur was occupied. That the logger have a uh, taken alternative two fifty seven, and we sort of we we sort of found this out actually last episode as well. Um, at the very end of Zenith Phase Two. Um, uh, Maximian says he knows and we see that in this reality at least he's got long hair and wears a big cape and blindfold he says the alignment draws near and identifies this woman as Mantra who we also saw dressed differently at, right at the end of uh, Zenith Phase 2 things seem to be coming to a head and Maximian asks about the origins of Zenith because he seems to be important and uh, Mantra fills him in born an alternative 2030 which seems to be important or some sort of irony or something um, his parents were super were the superhumans White Heat and Dr. Beat and he was hidden in his mom's um, with his mom's parents when his own parents died mysteriously again as he saw in phase two he was had a perfectly normal childhood for many years just sort of a rich upper class family kind of thing um but he, they were always on the observation for various governmental men in black until one day one of them threatened Zenith's grandma and he manifested his superpowers. All right. <laughs> always the best way to manifest your superpowers, isn't it? To punch a, a, a spook through a window there. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and uh, I feel like more and more superpowers are always expressed in defense of an adopted uh, parental figure. That's sort of how you yeah. do it. Um <laughs> But that was 1979. By 1983, riding a wave of 60s nostalgia, Zenith burst out as a super-powered pop star. Things were going pretty good until Maxi Man showed up, broke poor Shadwell, and Zenith kicked his ass. And now he's way, way on top along Hmm. with, of course, um, you know, Tory jerk Peter Sinjin. (laughs) (laughs) Mantra says everybody in reality 2030 is either a hippie or a yuppie and they're all jerks which I think is pretty funny. Um, Fair enough. Fair comment. (laughs) Especially in 88, I think. Um, Zenith hasn't heard of the Omnihedron, but it seems like he'll be important to the overall plan. Maximan says he dislikes melodrama as like a dove flies in and rests on his shoulder. Uh, Yeah. uh, For a man who dislikes melodrama, earlier on, he's he's quoting here, he's quoting from uh, uh, Norse mythology about the end of the world. Uh, is this really a man who dislikes melodrama? I'm as he as he stands convinced. there dr- dramatically in a giant cape, right? <laughs> With a blindfold. <laughs> I think we all know capes are the most melodramatic of clothing. Um. Yeah, I think I, I think I know people like this. Yeah. I don't like drama. I don't like drama. But. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So, but 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 he says Zenith might be their last hope in averting the end of any of everything, which seems pretty cool. And I guess we'll see what's going on with that in a uh, Proc Six Twenty Six. Yeah, pretty yeah, soon. Very, very, very com- comic book, even though he doesn't like it. Um, and I always thought, obviously, no spoilers going forward. But um, I did wonder whether that, that does does that play out in the story? Well, I suppose. Oh, I don't know. Pay attention uh, and find out. I'm not sure if that does. Yeah, Obviously, I'm. Those is going forward, but uh, I do wonder whether that pays out in the in the long run. That Zenith is very important at the end of it, or is he just? Uh, well, we'll find out, I suppose, we'll, when we get there. We'll see for sure. I admit, I haven't I haven't read ahead enough from where mm-hmm. we are in in, in in the show to have a yeah. ton a ton of Zenith answers. You know, if I and, and, and the same here, I have. I, I'm I'm uh, I'm reading along, and I don't want to I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, Zenith just, isn't isn't yeah. enough of a favorite for me to be. To right. go, oh, that pays off on page. 
35 of uh, you know book four or what have you. For me, yeah. I did, I just can't read ahead too much because like I gotta I gotta record the show with Fox and I gotta mm-hmm. edit the show and the shows that I edit then have to come out and if I also have a read ahead timeline that that's like four different points where you have to be in the prog and it's very confusing for me. I'm only yeah. one man, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yes, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice enough story, but uh, find out more only in 2000 AD or whatever. Future invent, uh, events unfold in Zenith only in 2000 AD. Yeah. We, okay, we, it's, it's, it's fine. It's a nice recap. Um, it's a bit, bit, but nothing much happens. It's, it is just a recap and a setup. So Yeah, I mean, a lot of like the – I mean, a lot of the stuff that's covered in here is stuff we, 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 we probably could have picked up yeah. on our own. And it's more yeah, we, knew, sort of, we knew about the, the the who his mom and dad were. Yeah, we knew obviously we knew, we knew what happened in, in phase one. Right. So it doesn't add that much. The omnihedron is the only thing that I don't think we've heard. No, we yeah, yeah no we've heard it mentioned. We've heard just this amount. We've heard that the om- omnihedron is a thing that's part yeah. of the larger plot, and but not. No, mm. that's it. Mm. <laughs> like, like I so like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's interesting. I say it's just a shame, really, that um, it what, wasn't uh, Stevie Owl who drew it because it, I don't think this has ever been included in any of the the reprints, has it? Uh, yeah, just I don't think the, so. This one feels, you know, it's a, yeah, feels very non-essential. I think, and okay. that's you know, but I think that's fine for a uh, for a, for 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 something in a special, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah I see. Yeah, I always thought, I like the um, I, I like the authorial voice coming through at some point in this when uh, when they're talking about Zenith's uh, pop career. <laughs> and uh, Mantra decides, it says, and while young bands with real talent languished in obscurity, Zenith's manufactured rubbish earned him a fortune. It feels, just, feels very just, Grant Morrison right there, for it, sure. It, it, well, it, it did make me feel that Grant Morrison probably was in a real band at, at some point. <laughs> that, uh, couldn't quite break through. Pouring all his venom into that little line. Oh, that feels <laughs> e- e- extremely real. All right. <laughs> But speaking of one man against the world, uh, mm-hmm. let's move on to Thrill 2, Rogue Trooper. Uh, classic Rogue Trooper here. Scripture about Alan Moore, art about Jesus Rodano, lettering about Steve Potter. And this one first appeared in the 1984-2080 annual, our episode 103. And it's Jesus Rodano's only Rogue Trooper work, and I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's really good stuff. I'd mean, love – I mean, this is a great classic combination of Alan Moore – uh, a redondo. Um my favorite future shock or time twister is there the the um is it the time machine one with the oh, guy who fails yeah. to build the time machine and decides to to end it all it's a fantastic beautiful beautiful time twister so anytime you got uh, more and redondo together I'm I'm, uh, I'm paying attention absolutely and these are always fun in these annuals it felt like every annual there was an Alan Moore uh, either rogue trooper or uh, Robuster's story, and and in all yeah. of them, you know, kind of played with the backgrounds of those characters, and kind of tried, you know, did his Alan Moore thing. I want to say, just kind of adding some more philosophy definitely. to these characters and stuff. Yeah, really definitely. Uh, um, uh, yep, yep. We'll discuss that uh, towards the end, but but uh, definitely agree with you there. So definitely Alan Moore up. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so Rogue's on the run from some Norts in a series of glass mountains. As he moves through them, he finds another genetic infantryman. But this one's super old, like with a beard, living a hermit's life high atop these mountains. He explains he was one of the first GIs, a prototype, and he started as a regular human, a member of the anti-war movement, who got drafted into the military and was forced to undergo experiments that turned him into a blue-skinned GI. 
They were dropped in a war zone and deserted by Millicom. And this guy was the only survivor. He's been hiding out in the mountains waiting to die ever since. Suddenly, Bagman spots a Nort patrol and Rogue ambushes them. He's fighting a desperate battle to let the old GI die of natural causes and not from the weapons of the Nort to be killed by on his own terms instead of by the forces of war and violence. Rogue is victorious and he arrives just in time to see the first GI breathe his last breath. Helm says that Rogue could still harvest the old timer into a biochip, but Rogue decides not to. The first GI passes on, and the current one continues on his way. Uh, it's fantastic stuff. This is, as you say, Alan Moore. Um, this is this is the genius of Alan Moore compared to a lot of other writers when they asked to take on other people's properties. Mm-hmm. It's very respectful to the, I'd say, the silliness of Rogue Trooper, but you know, to the to the, he's not trying to reinvent it. This this materials to yeah. beneath me, um, but he's putting his own twist on it. Um, it's fantastic. Um, I, I, he did this, and he, was it one other the, the Waldos, wasn't it? Um, uh, both of them great. I'm not sure Redondos yeah. are is, is 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 the best fit for Road Trooper. It's that's a bit too pretty. Uh, I like my Road Trooper <laughs> yeah. to be a bit bit dirty. Uh, I'm not sure whether they look like they're wearing Nort insignia as well. The old the, the GIs that mm. the original GIs when they yeah, when they're beamed be. down. I keep looking at. I don't know that's that. That's a bit confusing. Um, but yeah, as I say, just just. Um, Alan Moore has that knack of just, you know, he's got, he's got his message. He's got that anti-war message he wants to put in there. Yeah. Um, but he finds a way into through the material rather than just sort of, you know, smashing up the, the, the machine uh, yeah. and just plonking I, in his, his message. It's very good. You do think, I do get the sense that uh, it was worked backwards from the final um, <laughs> two panels. The old soldiers never die. Right. Uh, thing and he thought well old soldiers never die the idea of the chips meaning that old soldiers never have to die right and so this wants the let, letting him letting this this this, <laughs> this 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 one gi die yeah it was uh, that's how it felt when you got to the end you thought ah he had that idea first i mean and yeah just went back and fitted, I mean, it, fitted a fantastic story around him around hey him. i've seen i've seen worse stories that were founded on a punchline you know yeah, um, <laughs> and yeah that, i think that, that's yeah. how you do it I think it's interesting use of, of 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 trying to create some backstory and stuff, and I and, and I do agree that I think uh, Moore's tr- attempts at an anti-war message here are better than ones we've 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 seen in Rogue Trooper a lot of yeah. other times. Like I've been putting yeah. it th- uh, together Rogue Trooper collections recently, mm-hmm. and it is kind of ridiculous sometimes just how shoehorned in yeah. like a like a war is hell kind of thing <laughs> gets gets tossed in at the end of a story that's been about glorifying violence the whole time. <laughs> and stuff like that you know um i I, I just think the the other thing here does this mean that rogue grows a beard does he have a little shaving kit that bagman comes out and does he has to shave it yeah like and and like his mohawk and stuff like is he is he maintaining that Ooh, it's a good well i mean it's that might be the difference between a gi based on 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 human on a human body and one grown in a vat maybe yeah Uh, we need alan moore to come back like they, they write the sequel. That, that <laughs> totally. <explains> Listen, <laughs> I got a couple sequels for him to write. Listen, you know, get, get, him, yeah, get forget, this guy in here. Hello Jones. I want to know. I want to know. Got, got, to, got to clear this up. You know, <laughs> but yeah, he's probably engineered hair uh, uh, to be mostly hairless, like a like a cat for someone with allergies or something like that. You know. Uh, <laughs> 
I will say also, I, I, it's kind of interesting just sort of from what I know of Redondo's art, just how you can see like his sort of standard, the way he draws people regularly and stuff, mm-hmm. then sort of being, you know, being forced to fit into like the established look of like Rogue Trooper, for instance, or, or the Nort uh, bodysuits and things like that. It's kind of yeah. interesting, like, I don't know. If you're looking for ways that styles sort of uh, mix together when they when they're sort of going on new uh, um, established properties in 2000 yeah. AD, it's an interesting way to see this. It's like um, I'm always like you know I don't make a big deal about it, but it's interesting to see when a new artist draws dread or something like yeah. that and just see sort of what their take on him is. I mean, I say Redondo is one of my favorite artists. Obviously, when I started uh, reading the comic, Return to Armageddon was running. Of course. Um, and his art has always stood out as, as just just one of my favourites. It's it's, uh, it's just beautiful stuff. Um, but yeah, whether, whether it's better suited in other stories, I'm not sure. Rogue Trooper <laughs> seems to, an odd fit for him, but uh, sure. still beautiful stuff. Absolutely. And mm. speaking of, uh, uh, yes, just war is hell. <laughs> yeah, war, yeah. Speak of war being hell. Absolutely. Let's do <laughs> Thrill Three Company Records. Yeah. And lots of old soldiers dying. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. So, uh, art rob- only art robots listed for this one. Jim McCarthy, um, no writer for this huge filler section. Just <laughs> a bunch of headshots of bad company members and what they're up to now slash how they died. Um, I really like the first one because Danny Franks is listed as active and near omnipotent, which is pretty awesome. Um I mean, this is very much just sort of re- repeating our bad company coverage. I was a little bummed that there wasn't more backstory for Thrax and Shrike, who <laughs> even more, even more so now, feel like the most like the. To me, they're the most interesting bad company characters who don't really have any backstory or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, like, presumably wanna... Pete Milligan wasn't writing this one. Um, so yeah, it's just they're, they're basically picked up what they can from the strip, haven't they? They haven't. Uh... There's nothing, uh, nothing added here. No, 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 no secrets revealed in the course of this one. I just want to know why Thrax looks like that. I don't know, like whatever. Um, but um, I guess just going uh, back to the previous one. But speaking of uh, of uh, stories continuing in the winter special, let's go to Thrill Four: A Winter's Tale. Uh, script robot Al McKenzie, art robot Graham Higgins, letter robot Steve Potter. This is a Luke Kirby adventure, but let's not get too crazy about this one. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's not much of an adventure, I have to say, really. So. It, that, 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 the poor that, old man yeah. on his way out. <laughs> More just a series of events, I suppose, or, yeah. or a long monologue. Of, <laughs> we'll be seeing uh, Graham Higgins in the prog soon, where, where he'll be drawing uh, Zippy Couriers. Um, he also did art for a, a, for a pair of a Discworld adaptions uh, for Mort and Guards Guards, which are top uh, top Discworld stories. Um, and from and from what I can tell, he isn't related to John Higgins in any way. I spent a lot of time trying to figure that out. Nobody nobody said he was, so I got to assume he isn't. Um, <laughs> But it's late uh, December 1962, just before Christmas, uh, presumably several months after the events of Summer Magic. And Luke's mom is taking him to see Uncle Alistair in the hospital. It seems he's in a bad way because most because the, the whole family is also there. So presumably he's going to die soon, I guess. Um, Luke bumps into his cousin Kim, who he seems to have a connection with of some kind, about which more later, I suppose. Um, they go to Alistair's sick bed and he is indeed looking pretty rough, just sort of this old guy in a hospital bed. Luke's reach, Luke reaches out to take his hand. They have one of those Sistine Chapel style finger touch moments and then things get crazy. 
<laughs> Suddenly we're yeah, the, the, the random color page is kicking. Well, not 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 so random at this point. But so. Yeah, out of nowhere, suddenly it's a full color two page uh, splash page. Mm-hmm. Um, and I gotta say, as a uh, as someone w- w- with years of experience in it, this is what we call a Doctor Strange mindscape. Lots of <laughs> lots of floating rocks, waves of rainbow light, things like that. You know, this is where Doctor Strange would confront, would have a conversation with the Ancient One, which I guess is what we're having here as well. Um, yeah. um, we see Luke standing on one floating rock, on another one is Alistair, still old but 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 younger than he was in the hospital bed. He's wearing kind of a of a black gi polo shirt combination with a, a yin yang medallion, and he's got a small uh, non la, one of those uh, Asian conical hats. Just some just some cultural appropriation going on here, frankly. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 I did wonder whether that would uh, you pick up on that. It is a bit, it is a bit strange, I suppose. Back here, it would have been, um, you know, oriental mysticism, if it's mystical and magical. Um, and I suppose that ties in a bit with Doctor Strange, doesn't it? I always get the sense that the, the oh, absolutely. it's all very, yeah, very... He, uh, I mean, Doctor Strange went to Tibet and did all that yeah, stuff, absolutely, uh, you know. Mm. Although, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, could, I could talk for months about, about how Doctor <laughs> Strange is weird. Like, there's a lot going on with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, yeah... Um, Luke asks Alistair about death as he per- as he traverses the floating rock, and his uncle answers as he walks this giant yin yang gate kind of thing. He says he's proud of Luke's actions against Uncle Elias and has chosen Luke to be his successor as head of the Kirby family. Uh, to help him, he offers to answer one question for Luke, and that will be the key to power beyond imagination. Luke asks how he can be unafraid of death, as unafraid of death as Uncle Alistair is, and Alistair laughs. They walk through this yin-yang gate uh, onto like a seascape where a boat with a, with a yin-yang sail is preparing to launch. Alistair t- uh, tells Luke you have to um, that when you walk the warrior's path, fear is a constant threat lurking in corners waiting to trip you up, and he advises that a man of knowledge must defy his fear and move forward in spite of it. And indeed, the ability to do so is what separates a man of knowledge from other lesser men. And you know, if you understand that, then you'll be ready for death when it comes. It'll be a relief like it was for Elias. Good times. Um, <laughs> Luke... <laughs> So Alistair sails off, and I guess Luke is the head of the Kirby family now, um, including Kim. There's a special shout out for her. Uh, again, it's been a long time since I've read Summer Magic, so I'm not sure if this pays out either. Um, yeah, that's why I, I can't remember about the warning. He said it wouldn't be a second too soon, so it's 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 got to it's got to be coming soon, or eventually, I guess. He said, yeah, he says like I wouldn't get it for a long time, but then I did. Ooh, then it was important. So we'll, we'll see. Um, but you know, tr- track is being laid down. You know this. <laughs> Like the Maxi Man stuff, I've did, I've I've I put a pin in it I'm in my cork board, yeah. my various conspiracy uh, <laughs> like you know walls of these different stories and stuff like that. So hopefully I'll, I'll be able to tie a string to it someday. <laughs> so again, keep watching the progs if you want to know more. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Alistair dies holding Luke's hand, and it and whatever else, all this stuff. Uh, anyway, good times. We'll see yeah, Luke. It's a- What's great. Okay. Cra- What's crazy is just how long it'll be until we see Luke in the Prox again. Mm. Um, we'll see we'll see him next in the 1990 sci-fi special, and he'll return to the Prog in fall of 1992. So for like Prog 800, basically is when he comes back. Yeah, yeah. So it's a nice uh, art's very nice. The art's uh, uh, fairly accomplished, isn't it? It's, it's nice. Sometimes you see these tryout artists in the specials and. 
they've tried out a bit too soon. But it's <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's very very sort of polished stuff. It's an interesting style. It's his own style. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a shame. Really, only ever was it only Zippy Couriers he ever did. I think he didn't really do. I think he might have done for... a Future Shock here or there. Yeah. But I think he mostly did Zippy Couriers. Graham Higgins. Yeah. So the, the one thing I took from this was surprised when they said he's uh, Luke's only eight. I'd always thought he was an older child when he's shooting the he's shooting Uncle yeah. Elias. I thought he I thought he would be older than eight. Uh, maybe they grew up faster back in the sixties. It uh, could be. I mean, it, it's hard to tell. Just you know, become there is some. There, there's always some variance once things once things get to the second chapter and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. I, I suppose. It, yeah, draw, I say drawing kids. I suppose it's, 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 it's one of the hardest things to draw. I've always found that drawing children is quite hard to do because mm-hmm. to get capture them at a particular age. But I'd always thought yeah. that yeah, Luke Kirby. Must have been sort of heading towards being a. I mean, uh, I think sort of a teenager, like I eleven, bl- twelve. I believe he gets older in later yeah. stories, or or he look yeah. he he looks older. I I remember him be- looking very young in Summer Magic. Like yeah. I I especially scenes where like he's like crying or something like that, yeah. or like um when Uncle Elias carrying him home and stuff that seemed much yeah. more for like a, like a younger kid instead younger of child, a, yeah. in, instead of a more of a like a preteen or a teen or something. Well, I suppose it's made me want to go back and read <laughs> the first Luke Kirby just to check that he that he that he's like you know. But uh, I feel like um, we've yeah, I feel like we've inspired a lot of people to reread Summer Magic in the course of our coverage. Oh, geez. All right, so after some interesting stories, let's just let's let's oh, down, no. let's downshift <laughs> and sort of oh. get going as we as we enter the uh, as. <laughs> We enter just the, this no, open expanse of no, the no, middle. <laughs> Thrill five comics can be crucial. Slain, true dread, and was Johnny Rotten an astronaut? Oh dear! Listen, oh, dear. <laughs> uh, this is a tough section, but I gotta say, after we, we've basically been text free for all the specials and annuals this year, so now that we've sowed the seeds of strife, it's time to reap the whirlwind in the middle of this winter <laughs> special here. You know, yeah. Um, first, we've got an article by TV presenter Paul Thompson from the show Night Network about his love of comics in 2080 generally, which is nice, um, and some general hype for the upcoming Batman and possibly Judge Dredd movies. This is that yeah, it's, uh, that first Tim Burton Batman movie with yeah. everything with so much yeah, promise, you know. It, it's interesting. This this is this is the um, what I was saying about that transition from comics just being for mm-hmm. kids, and now here, all oh, comics don't have to be just for kids. Adults can read them. Don't be embarrassed about reading your your, your comic on the bus. Actually, was it? <laughs> I was inspired to go onto YouTube and find an old um, video of uh, Night Network with Paul Thompson. He's, he's interviewing um, Neil Gaiman and Dave McKee oh, nice. yeah. uh, about Black Orchid and uh, something like Violent Cases, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a very a bit, a bit of a bit of a, 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 a terrible flashback, but I, I, it was this this point where the comic was sort of tilting away from being i mean pat mills would this pat mills argument has always been i'm not sure i agree 100 percent with him but i think he's the general stroke of it is, is true which is that move towards aiming towards fans and mm. the fan sort of influence right over the kids influence um and how that will play out with the comic going forward um is interesting because uh, as i say it does just seem to this point where the comic's trying to say look well yeah we're, we're, we're growing up now we're, we're more adult. Don't yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't don't put us in with the don't lump us in with the uh, the monster fun and the wizard chips. I like the monster fun and the wizard chips. Uh, I mean, they have, you know they they all have their have their moments for sure. Yeah, I mean we're definitely 
I think for for better or for worse, yeah, moving to this more adult period of or 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 time of two thousand. It's 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 interesting talking to people because I think it's easy. It, for me, at least, it can be easy just to think of everyone who's reading 2000 AD as being like, like, like I guess us on the show where they sort of started in Prague 1 and have sort of grown up with it, you know. Yeah. It's kind of interesting to think about, like, I mean, I know you came in around 200. I mean, always there's an eight-year-old sort of who's just getting into comics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting thing to see, com- to see comic books start saying to say, like, no eight-year-old, you better just stick to the Beto or something like that instead yeah. of um, – trying to read yeah, our that stuff. transition exactly you had that transition through comics and so that gap grew in the middle didn't it which yeah. 2008 used to used to used to sort of fill um i mean i was i was the right age to be the target audience for this i would have been 17 mm-hmm. 16 17 when this i've just turned 17 when this came out so i i should have been watching night network i, I don't remember seeing it at the time <laughs> um I should have been, yeah uh, sort of you know into all this and, and to be fair I, you know i was interested in stuff that the 2000 ad creators did i would have followed followed pat mills off to martial law and uh, you know alan moore off to, to the american stuff he did mm-hmm. um but i because i like the stories because i just like the way they they wrote it sure. wasn't i wasn't really into this whole idea of comics for, for adults now i just liked how they told stories <laughs> so <laughs> yeah uh, that's yeah, like, fair for sure I, th- I wonder whether there was a bit bit of a you know the, the, the mistake they made was to say all oh, these stories are adults so they're good it wasn't that they were adults, it's mm. that they were done by good creators and the stuff they did for children was just as good. Um, I think, yeah, that is a risk that I think a lot of – honestly, a lot of media takes, I think, mm. where it's the difference between where sort of when something new and innovative comes and the people that are in charge of deciding what gets made sort of learns the wrong lessons from, yeah, what, um, yeah. from what's being made, you know? I think that's, yeah, that's really that's interesting. Definitely, de- definitely what definitely – what's, uh, one to watch out for going forward. What what lessons are they going to learn about? Absolutely. You know, this, 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 you know, what what can you take from this sudden success? This sudden interest in comics from the wider media, from Arena and Newsweek, yeah. and who they mentioned there. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Okay, so next we get a preview of things to come. Just a uh, a big a, a a big centerfold of Simon Bisley slaying the Horn God. Complete with tartan and sweet axe. Oh man, uh, that's so good. And uh, it, it looks slightly different, doesn't it? I presume this was a tryout for yeah, absolutely. For the actual, so, so like for the for before he did the sign because it's slightly different style to um, even just the the, the, the book one. I'd, I'd say so yeah, only slightly, it, but you can tell the difference. And it um, seems more drawn than painted, I think, yeah, as, as well. Yeah. I mean, usually I know they put together the the regular specials and the annual in like March of the year they come out around then. Mm, um, yeah. And I it wouldn't surprise me if the winter special was too. So this is probably even like, maybe like a year out from because yeah, we're still six months away slate. from yeah his turn it turning up aren't we from 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 actually turning up in the in the yeah prog itself. it'll it'll show up um uh the horn god starts along with the new zenith story actually in prog 626 yeah. and so we're still away from that and even then it would have been submitted even even earlier than that like like months yeah. and months ago yeah but i mean it's beautiful stuff uh, would have had that on the wall if it wasn't for the fact that they've written at the top zarja sneak preview <laughs> and at the bottom a new mega epic in full color coming soon watch the frogs stop Gotta so get out I'm, of I'm, read, I'm reading the comic. Stop gotta, telling me to read it. <laughs> gotta get out of your own way for this stuff, guys. Come on, you know? I, I, so just that picture by itself would have just been lovely, but I had to turn it into an advert. That's how it goes. 
<laughs> so, okay. Oh, man. So this is the one I've been dreading. It's, we've got a full text story here <laughs> from the perspective of a Britsit reporter sent to Mega City One. Um, basically, the uh, anthrax eye in the law saga has been uncovered by archaeologists and Britsit and started a juve craze about dread in the former UK. So this guy goes to Mega City One to find dread, but dread's nowhere to be found. It's missing for weeks. He briefly interviews Silver and Anderson, and uh, she drops a thousand percent in my estimation because she directs him to interview goddamn Walter at the <laughs> Anita Dobson block. And listen, like, and that's an EastEnders actress, and this is a Corey podcast. Boo! <laughs> Anyhow, he's a fatal mistake, fatal continuity error there, referring to EastEnders, not correlation. Terrible. Walter <laughs> antics ensued. I am livid about it. I've never been more angry. <laughs> Just so, so many W's. It's terrible. And he's, he's been turned. He, he, he's, he's been turned up. I mean, there's more W's than ever. Disappeared. It's terrible. Oh my god. What wonder we? There's so many W's. It's, it's no uh, good. He's, he's he's getting drunk on oil at the bar. So it's just even worse than ever. Making it worse. Yeah. Uh, he dread goes to see a a judge psychologist, Doctor Ziggy Frude, who's got a who had a diagnosis for dread. Dread gave him six years in the cubes, which which, which which is pretty good. I should mention all the art for this for 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 all these center parts actually is is by the Lionel uh, Blair tendency, which is a joke that I don't understand. I don't know. It looks kind of Lionel gym- Blair. Lionel Blair was a presenter tv like a uh what do okay. you call it light light entertainment dancer singer <laughs> quiz shows um but it's it's brendan mccarthy isn't it sure yeah it's got got that look for me for <laughs> sure um eventually judge hershey shows up and kicks the brit back home just all the stars showing up in this thing um and even as he does he bumps into judge death who's just there to pay his parking tickets wow wow um Eventually, Dreadmania cools down. He goes back to England, and it seems that he was actually that Dread was actually in Brits at the whole time on a secret mission, and everyone was just there to snow it to snow this reporter guy. Anyway, this story was two pages long and the worst thing ever. Oh, I feel real bad. About <laughs> <it>. <laughs> oh, comrade, comrade. It's, well, at least he put some effort into it. That's that, that's all I can say. You know, you got the three uh, articles here, here, and you got the the chap from Night Network, the one we'll get onto from the enemy, and this chap, the the metal. The metal hammer Kerrang right. uh, chap. At least he's put a bit of effort into it. He's he's gone well. I could write just an article. I could just go on about what I think about comics, or I could just go on about. Uh, we'll get onto the other one when we get onto it. But yeah. uh, he's gone. Oh, I'll, I'll put some effort into it. I'll put some effort into it. I'll make it about. <laughs> Tell the I'll make it about story. the character. Yeah, I'll make it about the character rather than myself. Um, I, mean, I do like. But, uh, I do appreciate that that it shows a fandom level of 2000 AD, which I think is very good, as opposed to sort of generic comic stuff. You know, like I think the problem with this is it, it it's it shouldn't be in the special. It should probably be in Metal Hammer or right. Bang <laughs> as an advert for the comic. That's right. where it feels like it belongs, rather yeah. than. Because we know all this about Judge Dredd ourselves, don't we? And yeah, uh, well, it's it, yeah. I mean, it, it's an interesting thing because I think, honestly, just based on what we've seen in both in the Slain picture and Luke Kirby and and Zenith, I wonder mm. if they were just thinking maybe that the Winter Special would 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 bring in new eyes. You know, yeah. like this this really feels like it's trying to um, like it's it, it it's meant for sort of newer new readers, people who aren't reading 2000 AD, but maybe picked up some something for Christmas or something like that. I don't know. Or they've been watching Night Network. Exactly. Intrigued by Paul Thompson's references to 
to Judge Dredd. Yeah. And they've spent decided to spend one pound ninety five on a very expensive special rather than <laughs> just pick up the the, the prog at what thirty five p is it at this point? Yeah, thirty. Yeah, you know, sometimes <laughs> you gotta. It's hard to tell what what consumers will do. You know, they're 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 a law unto themselves. <laughs> so the final story, uh, final piece of filler here is by a music writer, seething Stephen Wells, uh, with a text section with an article just about how lucky kids have it today to be able to read two thousand A.D. and avoid thrill suckers instead of the terrible stuff before it. Oh. Yeah, and again, this this feels like uh, I know that I, I read 2000 AD. Why, why are you telling me this? Right, it's true. Yeah, what's yeah? Thanks for telling me this. I, know, I already know this. Right, it's like um, when I'm like 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 when I'm watching like like a basketball game and they have an ad for basketball like in the middle of it. It's like I'm watching it now. Like like I I can't be more into it than I am at the moment. Um, <laughs> But I mean, you know, he kind of he, as many will later, sort of links 2000 AD to the rise of punk in the late 70s. A, um, a something that's that's easy to do if you're sort of telling the story from the outside, but that I believe most of the creators have in fact disavowed as being yeah, like an yeah, actual I, inspiration. I, I, I never, I never bought that. I've, there's a there's a really funny um, like old fanzine I was reading and talking to Kev O'Neill. Uh, going underground, obviously comic rock, right. and obviously the, the first Nemesis going underground based on the jam song. And they're asking him, going, "Oh, so you know, do you like that?" He's going, "Oh, that's a load of rubbish. I was listening to Pink Floyd while I was drawing Nemesis." <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, uh, not not that punk then. <laughs> now it's just sort of things happening at the same time, I guess. Um, it, I do just like I don't know. It seems like he's a fan as he's writing. Like he makes a lot of Slain references, especially, and sort of some, just the time killer stuff about how good comics mean eventually bad things will come and balance will be restored. You know, throws a lot of shade at Faulty Towers and uh, Monty Python, which I think is kind of an interesting like 1988 stance on comedy. I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of this. This this is an enemy writer. I'm not sure how familiar right. you are with enemy. As a, I am a little as a, bit. Yeah. As a, as a, as a, you know, it was the, one of the big weekly music magazines. And at the time, if you were a kid of my age, you would buy the enemy and the enemy would tell you what to like. Right. And it would tell you, like, like the Smiths <laughs> and the Stone Roses. And it would tell you that heavy metal was rubbish and, you know, and, 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 and old stuff was rubbish. And all this was a very punk attitude of, you know, only the new stuff's good. Right. Um, and you do, you do get a sense of that here, don't you? Where you sort of, yeah, oh, thank God something's come along to get rid of all this old rubbish. Oh, some of the old stuff was good. You know, that's just... I mean, look at the treasury of British comics that uh, Rebellion are putting out now to show that, you know, there was good stuff before 2008. Yeah. I mean, they're, yeah, they're specifically putting out some of the stuff that he rails against, like a story about yeah. blind ballerinas and other things like yeah, that, you exactly. know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, I, I mean, I, was, I kind of uh, uh, read up on this guy, Stephen Wells, a little bit, and it is a, a little sad, just kind of, there's a point where he's like, oh, like I'm approaching 30 and looking at this uh, comic, uh, at <laughs> yeah. this scene here, knowing that, like, he'd, you know, he wouldn't make it to 50 because he'd die of lymphoma and stuff, which is kind of a bummer um you know it's sort of this passage of time stuff i guess that sort of you know hangs over everything in 2000 ad just sort of the nature of reading things from 30 years ago i guess um but uh you know anyway listen enough of this enough of these words oh i hate words so much (laughs) instead let's and and i I guess speaking of punk attitudes and and anarchy generally (laughs) let's go to thrill six Judge Dredd. So, script about Alan Grant, art about Vanyo, lettering about Tom Tom Frame. Uh, we've recently seen Vanyo arrive back on the progs, and now we're about to start uh, 
uh, uh, uh, super block Alan Grant power hour here. <laughs> three three thrills, no waiting. Yeah. Grant Palooza. <laughs> we start off at the Miriam Rothschild's block in in, in Mega City One Rothschild block. Uh, her name's misspelled on the block, but apparently she's a lady who was a uh, the uh, the leading authority on fleas in natural science. Like, there's apparently a six book collection that's like the Rothschild's collection of fleas. Of his various flea pictures and stuff. Um, but in that block, there lives a man who loves two things, fleas and the political concept of anarchy. <laughs> they go together like um, – like, uh, like, like soy <laughs> blood paste and a billion fleas in a container. <laughs> he had got, got, got a giant flea tank. He feeds him soy blood sludge. And then squashes them to harvest massive amounts of resolin, which is an elastic protein that allows fleas. It doesn't like the fleas that much, then. Yeah, I mean, you He's know, happy to squash them. Yeah, I mean, he likes. I mean, I feel like if you're if you're if you're like a if you're like a like a hog farmer, like I think you <laughs> you have to have some affection for the hogs just generally, yeah. even though you are in fact also slaughtering them and stuff. I suppose. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I guess Reslin lets insects move quickly and efficiently and stuff like that. And he's harvested massive amounts of it, enough to build a f- giant flea exoskeleton and become Flea Man. He's got the proportional strength of a flea. Shouldn't <laughs> <laughs> that be Flea Man? As oh. in- Flea man, flea, flea man, flea and man, the masters of the universe. <laughs> or Flea Man, Flea Man does whatever a flea can. Makes a jump, <laughs> any size, uh, messes up parades just like flies. Watch out! <laughs> Here comes the flea man. Um, <laughs> yeah, he can jump massive distances and bounce around without risking injury. He freaks out the judges as he goes, of course. Like, control is a giant flea on the loose. I don't know what to do. <laughs> so empowered by these abilities, it's time to bring anarchy into full effect as he prepares to ruin the Fargo Day parade being led by Judge Dredd. Pretty solid guy to have for the parade, you know the uh, the clone of the guy you're honoring in it. That's pretty solid. Oh. And you can see that. Although, if you look at this, the, the 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 row of judges behind him and that picture, you got obviously there's a uh, Fargo at the carrying the little pictures mm-hmm. of Fargo. They all look pretty clony themselves, don't they? They've got the big, giant, wide faces. I'm sure there. that yeah, I'm I'm sure they pull together are all the Fargoist Fargoist <laughs> judges. <laughs> the parade, you know. Um, so Flea Man says he's not a super villain. He's not a costume vigilante. He's an anarchist, an itch in the side of authority. He bounces through the parade. He shouts a bunch of slogans. This generally um, humiliates the judges by their inability to stop him. It is pretty funny, though, because while he's constantly shouting anarchic slogans, no one can seem to hear him. Like, <laughs> instead, it's kind of like, he's saying something. I don't know. <laughs> pretty funny. Um, yeah, yeah, that's it. I could swear I heard that flea shouting. Yeah, he, There's the, the report there. He calls for the state to be abolished and bounces away. Dread follows, of course, but Flea Man uses the magnet spines that he has on his costume which he didn't tell anybody about just making up powers as we go very this is, i'm not sure fleas are known for their magnetic spines yeah, are come they? on that one i've heard of <laughs> but he manages to escape in the back of a hover car he then bounces into his apartment but you know he doesn't uh, apparently uh, the concept of brakes were too orderly for him so he goes in <laughs> too fast <laughs> and smashes his head into his own giant flea tank 
the tiny bugs eat him alive, and soon a massive swarm of radicalized bugs leave his skeleton to spread <laughs> anarchy all through the neighborhood. <laughs> this is um, a non-more Alan Grant story, isn't it? Really, Alan Grant, his love of anarchy, was, did, did he create the character anarchy for Batman? I believe. Oh, yeah, I think so. Um, Maybe. I, yeah, I so... Anarchy is one of his. Well, certainly at this time, back in the late eighties, he, he, he was. Uh, was one of his big, one of his his big, uh, big, big, big topics. It's a. Uh, it's a bit like Pat Mills. You 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 can tell an Alan Grant story when you can tell what he's been reading um, <laughs> before he wrote the story. Can't so he, he's, and, and he wants to tell you all about the things he's been reading. So you know, he's obviously done. He's done his research about fleas. He thought that will make a good good story. <laughs> I, oh yeah, yeah. Batman did create, or uh, Alan Grant did create anarchy. Confirmed, but yeah, yeah I think hey. um, yeah. This 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 has a very um, almost Shacko feel to me. I guess l- yeah. l- l- less because it's about a giant monster, but more because it feels like someone's read a nature book and has facts <laughs> that they would like to turn yeah. into into a comic. You know, mm. um, <laughs> yeah. I um, to me, this kind of feels similar to um, to the, to the early, to the Silver Age version of Ant Man. That character. Mm. Where it was a scientist who, you know, learned to shrink and control ants and stuff, but was also very, um, not quite very, you know, who could control the ants, but was not very loving of the ants. Like, he'd use giant ant swarms to cushion his fall when he jumped, when he super jumped places and stuff like that. Like, it's like, yeah. this doesn't seem like you're being a cool dude to these ants, buddy. And same thing with Flea Man and these fleas. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm not sure that the last panel's a big sort of vague it looks like the little fleas are talking all the little fleas have become anarchists yeah i think that's, or that's, is it that's that's how it reads but i do wonder whether the intention is that the citizens have picked up on the flea man's no i think statements and the same things no, so, yeah, I, believe, I, I believe these fleas have been radicalized <laughs> and that's how it reads but i was thinking that I've always thought that's a. I think that's how I took it when I first read the story and thought, "Well, that's a bit silly." But then reading it again, I, I was thinking, "Okay, are they saying that the Could neighbors are now shouting for anarchy, having been, you know, uh, uh, inspired by his by his uh, by his, uh, uh, his performance of the right? I just. Or, I feel like that gives so much credit to citizens of Mega City One that I just can't do <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. Like they, well, these guys are not are not smart. <laughs> Because there is that double minutes, and there's a, there's a much because it says there in the last one. There's a much shorter five minutes before the neighbors start. So is that the neighbors starting to shout because they're being attacked by fleas? I'm, <laughs> or are, no, or are yeah. they shouting for this state to be abolished? I imagine. Well, I imagine it's both that um, you know they're both being attacked by anarchic slogans and by giant fleas. Oh, it's a it's a real twofer. It's bad times, you know. And speaking of anarchic times, yeah. Very good. Let's go to Thrill Seven Strontium Dog. Um, script robot Alan Grant, art robot Kevin Walker, learning robot Steve Potter. Early work for Kevin Walker here. He just showed up in the Progs a few episodes ago. Um, and we ourselves are just seconds after the big bang. After the big bang happened, mutant bounty hunter Johnny Alpha arrives after the fugitives Max Planck, Dev Bomb, and Heisenberg. Of course, all famous physicists. Or named after famous physicists, I should say. Um, Johnny looks around for a moment and comes under fire from the baddies. They themselves, most of them are, are kind of freaked out to be at the birth of everything. But Johnny's playing it cool, uses a beam polarizer and wades into fight. Meanwhile, 15 billion years in the future, in the year 2176, Tex are zeroing in on Johnny as he fights for his life. 
He kills Baum and uh, stuns Heisenberg and just barely stops a knife thrown at his head by Plank from hitting him. The two of them fight, but it seems Plank has crazy eyes of his own. Alpha eyes meet antimatter eyes. Uh, black energy pours out of them, incapacitates Johnny as Plank yells that, you know, at the guys in the future watching, he starts monologuing, as you do, about his and eyes. And he says he won't as well. He says, I'm not going to monologue. Oh, no. And then, then he just goes then crazy. <laughs> yeah, doubles down on it for sure. <laughs> Um, he says, like, antimatter being at the start of the, u- at the of the universe will mess things up and will allow him to remake the the universe in his own image and mutants will be have, have a better place in it, I guess. Um, it seems a vague plan, to be honest. I'm yeah. not sure I just thought this one through. Uh. The, the art seems cool, but otherwise this play does not seem very smart. Although this is another kind of Doctor Strange moment where some bad guy remakes the Earth, but just ends up being exactly the same. That's happened two or three times to Doctor Strange. Um, <laughs> Johnny has to act fast and does the obvious thing, which is, of course, hitting Plank with a time grenade, sending him several seconds in the past before the Big Bang itself. He so not- at this point, uh, are, we, are we to understand, this has been my reading this, that Johnny Alpha created the universe that feels that, right yeah I, the, the I, explosion of max planck rather than rewriting the universe is the cause of the universe it actually causes the big bang absolutely That's yeah always- yeah what caused the big bang a mutant bounty hunter driving to think fast with some time weaponry i think we, Which, all, I, I we think, all know that i think I, I can get behind that i can get behind that as a as a as a concept for the uh existing you know, creation of the universe if somebody said to me johnny alpha was yeah. uh Responsible? I'd agree with that. I've heard worse explanations, I must say. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, the day is saved, but everyone does still hate mutants. So, you know, overall, you know, specific good, overall bummer, such is life when you're Johnny Alpha. And this is very much, um, it's a bit of a, it's a a redux of uh, the Ragnarok job, isn't it? With mutants traveling into the past to destroy the future. Um, Yeah. It's a bit of a theme. Um, Absolutely. I always think, I always think it's a bit strange that they, you, they don't have a team for this, like a, a people they yeah. Would trust. Yeah, you, you, we'll send a mutant back. Who can we trust? The mutant? Oh well, well, well yes. Well, let's hope so. Let's specifically hope we can trust a mercenary, <laughs> a mercenary bounty hunter. They sent back. Yeah, yeah, as opposed to having having like 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 Jean Claude Van Damme and some other time cops there to sort exactly. of fix that stuff. <laughs> but I mean, I I think it's also kind of a weird thing, just because in. Like the world of Strontium Dog, like time, like there, you know, there's certainly time travel, but it's not like it's rarely actually go back in time and do stuff. Time travel, it's more just sort of utility time travel. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like the average time traveler in Strontium, or the average time travel in Strontium Dog is like using it. Like, if your if your bread's gone moldy, you have like a special <laughs> box in your house that. Yeah. Like, like de-time it by a couple days to like make it last longer or something like that, you know, as opposed oh, yeah. to like, oh, we're going to go meet Shakespeare or something. Yeah. I mean, those are practical uses for time travel. So I think, I think you've called the market there, comrade. They copyright mean, those ideas now. <laughs> I, mean, I just think it's interesting just that like the only, like the only real, like, like actual use of actual time travel we've seen was that were those guys, was, uh, was Kerr, those guys that sent Johnny back to pick up Hitler for yes, trial yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. And speaking of uh, ridiculous sci-fi concepts, <laughs> let's <laughs> close it out with Thrill 8, Judge Anderson. A script about Alan Grant, art about Ian Gibson, letter about Tom Frame, Grant's Palooza running wild just for some sweet Anderson action here. Um, Gibson's sort of 
he's only recently come back to 2000 AD, I think. And he's really just decided to go insane with how he draws judges and Anderson's particularly like just giant shoulder pads, giant yeah, hair, all this uh, stuff. It's very stylized. Really yeah. Evolution. Was, was he off? I'm, I'm not sure of the timeline. Was he off doing the, or was, would this have been at the same time doing the Daily Star Dread? Has that informed the sort of more I, minimalist yes. style he's got? I believe uh, so. Yeah. Cause the Daily Star, he, he, he like he does the daily, he, he starts the dailies in like 86 Mm. And has been doing them for a couple years at this point. You know, he's sort of just mm. come back with a little bit of like full mental jacket and yeah. a few other things in uh, in the Prague. But he's also just done these um, several pinups of both Dread and Anderson, where like they have giant like wing size shoulder pads and knee pads and things like that. Like he's really going for the yeah. gusto in terms of the over exaggerated proportions of these it, characters. I, I, it, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a lovely style. I think this could be some of my favorite. Sort of uh, era art for Gibson. As obviously the Halo Jones stuff's fantastic, but this sort of minimalized, more I won't say cartoony, but more stylized sort of a style he's got going on here is just 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 amazing. Really yeah, it's really stuff. interesting. It's it, it's mm. a fun style. Um, but so it's a cold night as si- as uh, the side judge Judge Anderson is called to a murder scene to investigate. She reads a dead man's mind and. Uh, with some pretty neat imagery, it seems he was hacked to death by his own wife, but she was in the grip of some weird alien influence. Suddenly, she senses the same thing, this kind of alien mind slug um, possessing a nearby citizen. Anderson calls out to him, but he runs. She gives chase. But before she can brain scan him, he jumps off the side of the building, landing head first. So he's just street pizza and can't be scanned at all. Anderson um, heads home. Anderson heads home, undresses, heads to bed. Oh, yeah. And she plans to make some inquiries in the morning. A cool little um, plush, plushy judge oh, yeah. there. Yeah, she's Fantastic. got a, yeah, like, like a judge teddy does. bear. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, that's, a, that's a gold mine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that night, a, gr- a huge group of people in a city block wakes up as just in the middle of the night and has a big gathering. Um, Anderson knows about them. They don't have the power to stand against her. Instead, they might f- all fuse together to become a more powerful being that can fight Anderson. Um, a giant psychic mind worm forms, leaving the people that used to be inhabited by them sort of standing there confused, like, whoa, what happened? This is weird. Um, the being coalesces in Anderson's room and lays out its case. They don't mean any harm. They just need a place to live, a place to come in from the cold. They eat a minuscule amount of human energy you wouldn't even notice. But Anderson doesn't like, um, isn't convinced. You know, m- m- mentioned that there's been a couple deaths under their control recently, which doesn't, which isn't a good sign. So instead, they just say, "Ah, she doesn't understand. They never understand, and they attack." And while they are tricky. That trickiness hides weakness, and Anderson's quickly able to zap them out of existence. But as the being dies, she catches that its final thought was sacrifice, and it's only after she sleeps on it a bit that she realizes that there's probably still a mindworm inf- in infestation in that city block. It's the Colin Wilson block, a uh, philosopher of phenomenological existentialism. Um, and she orders A, that the whole place be arrested and taken in for a deep sigh probe, especially the children. And she rides out to help out with that, because it's, ha- it's hard being a judge some nights. That's a, that's, a, that's a fantastic story. I think that's uh, um, top top quality. Alan Grant, he, he can be a bit hit and miss at this stage. I think at this this, this mm-hmm. period, when the somewhere it's only been it's in this sort of first year, probably since the writing partnership. 
Oh yeah, yeah, like yeah. It, this is sort of it, this is probably um, just based on again the uh, when they make these stories. This is probably mm-hmm. right as that's happening. It's it's yeah. it's they're probably compiling this annual just as like Oz is ending in in yeah. in the progs. I'd imagine. Yeah. So um, yeah, and it can be a bit hit and miss. Sometimes you think you read his his, his stories and you think how could that, this, this is so far. From what I expect of Judge Dredd, he's, he's executing <laughs> people left, right, and center. You go, right. this isn't Judge Dredd. He, didn't you write him for so many years? Right. And you feel guilty because you think, well, you know better than I do. But it just doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes he does stuff and it's it's perfect. I think um, this is one of his his, 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 his best. Um, Anderson's story, I suppose. But uh, but uh, uh, Dread World stories, I think, really what? good stuff. Yeah, I think this one, honestly, these three do a pretty good job of sh- sort of showing you the breadth of Alan Grant, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like, from sort of, like, explicitly humorous and dread to mm. sort of a mix of, like, humor and action in uh, in Strontium Dog to this story that, like, isn't super action-packed but does have a lot of, like, interesting things to think about and is mm. a lot more serious than the other two. Like, it sort of gives you yeah. a, a nice sampler of what he's able to put out on his own, I think, which is an interesting I, thing. I, and I always like Alan Grant's, um, I'd say, this, the serious stories. I always think he does those really well. There's a, a few coming up. Um, John Cassavetes is dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'll come up, come up shortly, which I just think is 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 just just uh, a phenomenal story. Um, uh, so yes, yeah, it's, it's good to see the uh, the, the uh, uh, so some good quality stuff in here. And I say it's, it's it wasn't all filler. Some uh, yeah, top class stuff in here. Uh, yeah, well, you know the like honestly, I like it's 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 interesting sometimes thinking like 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 how people get in this thing because I think it is a lot of tryout pieces. Like yeah. like I. I wonder if this is like Ian Gibson, like sort of like working off some ring rust to kind of get back into full size dread yeah. or something like that. I mean, this is because you because you've got Kimona on the um, the first story and Graham Higgins on the second story. Really, Gibson is the only established artist in this, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really, two thousand AD artist. Anyway, I know Vanya. Uh, yeah, Vanya's done d- done a lot of things. Stuff. Sure, he did stuff years ago, but he's just come back, hasn't he? He's just yeah. and as you say, probably with the time delay. This was probably the first thing he did before he did some yeah. of the stuff he's doing at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we we've just seen him doing like what was that? It was um, it was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles rip yeah, off. Yeah, what about what about, uh, about, about the Elsters? Mud wrestling. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another very Alan Grant story. Uh, <laughs> that sort of parody story that he does. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd say the the Alan Grant power hour, all told, was a was a really kind of boost this up to something uh, something definitely worth having. Yeah, definitely. So with that said, I think the big question is, what were your top and bottom thrills for this 1988 Winter Annual? Oh, it's tricky. Um, as I say, there's a bit too much. Um, I'm finding it hard to to say a, a bottom story. Mm. I start with the bottom, um, so we can only go up. Because <laughs> um, actually, all the stories are good. I said there's nothing wrong with the Zenith. There's nothing wrong with the Luke Kirby, other than they don't really tell the much of a story themselves. They're a bit slight. They rely more on setup than than mm-hmm. an actual actual payoff. Um, I don't. I don't really like choosing the 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 the, yeah, the tech stuff. Oh, but, oh yeah. Listen, like that's it's such an easy but, out, right? <laughs> but when you take up seven pages with your bad company records, I mean that's. You know, yeah, I, I, I definitely subscribe to the space spinner rule of uh, future shocks, which is that if you're going over three pages, you better have a good reason to be doing right. it. Um, <laughs> and the same should apply to all all, all filler. 
uh, and seven pages just to tell us what we already know about bad company is that is that a cop out um so if i had to choose a strip i'd yeah. probably choose uh, luke kirby but only out of you know it's sort of a, a process of elimination not because there's anything uh, wrong with it sure um for my top thrill i've been going backwards and forwards on this it's, it's obviously um as i've already made it clear i'm a huge strontium dog fan that's always been my number one um mm-hmm. uh, story in the comic from the, the very first 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 time i read it um and this is a great story johnny alpha creating the universe you can't get uh, <laughs> yeah that's actually much better than that um kevin walker's art is very it's, it's great stuff i mean uh, i mean i'm looking at this and i'm thinking oh why isn't he doing it in the in the progs you know uh, this is this is decent stuff him and colin mcneil you know mm-hmm. uh, you know you know carlos irreplaceable on strontium dog but colin mcneil Kev Walker, they've both done really good, uh, good, good, good job here. Yeah, um, but both ter- of those guys try to do a very um, Escara inspired Strontium yes. Dog, I think. Yeah, yeah, which you know you could say he's a bit of a cop out because they're just sort of. But uh, well, I don't get the sense of the copying them. They're just sort of like no, Alan Moore. No, yeah, uh, I think yeah, he's in, kind of, in, inspired. I think is what I'm trying to say. Not that they're yeah. ripping him off, but that they're kind of That's like it, using yeah. using him as a basis for their own work, as yeah, opposed exactly. to like Simon Harris, who I feel like is definitely trying to do his own thing with, with Strontium think, Dog. Yeah. I think so this goes back to what we said about Alan Moore. When Alan Moore does a story, he doesn't throw everything out. He keeps the structure mm-hmm. and he builds on that, and then tells his own story. And I think an artist, if you're taking over something like Strontium Dog, you, there's, there's a hell of a solid structure there to to build on. So don't throw it all out. And I think. Kev Walker does a good job of of of, 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 of uh, capturing that. He's yeah. uh, given given uh, Johnny Alpha a cod piece there, which is uh, that's, uh, <laughs> foreshadowing there for the uh, for the for the for the future. So um, hard to not give these guys cod pieces. I think that's the general <laughs> root. That's the general problem with adapting any of these characters. <laughs> so, dog, I was I, 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 I sort of as my heart, my head says the Anderson story because from the quality of the, the writing and the quality of the art, it, it's I'd have to say. It's a better story, but I think I'll go with my heart and I'm going to say Strontium Dog. All right. <laughs> I can't come on uh, Space Spinner 2000 and not give Strontium Dog top, uh, <laughs> top marks. Uh, anyway, comrade, uh, I have a question for yourself. Oh, my. Uh, what are your top and bottom thrills in this 2018 Winter Special 1988? Ooh, a surprise question. Um, let's see. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, man. I think I think for bottom, I might agree with you. Like uh, generally, yeah. This, this the, uh, the the company records thing. That's a rough. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it's just it's it's just like a little bit of text. Like like I do kind of like Jim, Jim McCarthy's uh, mug shots for it, but mm-hmm. like that doesn't change the fact that there's no new information in here. Like and it's just sort of the same thing over and over again. If there had been and so, and some of those mug shots, have, I think have been reproduced at like twice the size they were drawn. Exactly. Yeah. Drawn. Yeah. Many of them are reuses, and yeah. like it's very um, you know, if if there had been like some little thing added in a couple of them just to yeah. kind of add some more to their stories or something like that, that would have changed things a meet like 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 greatly. But as it is, I got to put that in the um on on the bottom overall again. If I might. Mu- uh, picking a strip, I, I'll also join you at, in a Luke Kirby. 
Um, mostly just because this one's such a setup strip. Yeah. Um, and it's not like with like Zenith, say, where it's going to be picked up that spring. Like these, st- this stuff isn't going to be picked up for years and years. So I think just at like, I mean, that's sort of bringing some advanced knowledge, but just sort of knowing that it just feels very like, not worth a lot, I guess, or <laughs> like you know, it seems weird just because it is. It's it, it's such a setup, and then knowing that the payoff is so far far from now, that doesn't even seem worth worth the effort, I guess. Um, for my top, ooh, um, there are some good choices. I did think the uh, the flea man's uh, story was very funny, which was good. Um, but I think I will take Judge Anderson. Uh, this is a fun Anderson or an, an interesting Anderson story. Got a lot of her like sort of, you know, using using her psychic abilities and fighting space monsters. But also just sort of cruising around the city and being very, you know, uh, flip, flip and Anderson-esque, which I really appreciate. So, yeah. And it's definitely um, – so it's, it's – uh, it, it, the other stories are slightly more contrived, aren't they? They have to jump through a few hoops to – to get to their their, their payoff, whereas it's mm-hmm. a very elegant story, the 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 Anderson one, which is why, uh, yeah, it's, it's probably the better story by Carl. <laughs> no, that's fair. Yeah, I think the Rogue Trooper stories are up there also, but I like yeah. I, I don't like to include reprints in these things yeah. just because you know, yeah. you know, like we covered this stuff before, so if we got a top yeah. then, and that's that's solid times. I forget if it did yeah. or not. Um, anyway, awesome. Okay, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Store, Spotify, or podcast site SpaceSpinner2000.com. You can contact us at SpaceSpinner2000 at gmail.com, the 2080 forums, or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter, or at SpaceSpinner2K. Everything else with like SpaceSpinner2000, we should be there. Say very fast. Uh, anyway, Lay, thank you so much for coming on the show. No, Is there anything? Hello, mate, it's a oh. pleasure. It's a pleasure, as I say. I've listened since uh, since your early days, and say as somebody who didn't start with the first progs, I may have read them and dismissed a lot of those early stories as silly, <laughs> childish stories about <laughs> dinosaurs, but. You, uh, you gave me a, a better perspective on them, so uh, thank you for that, if nothing you else. Know, can, can never overlook those cowboy dinosaurs. It's so, <laughs> so important. Uh, so is there, is, there, um, is there a place you'd like to be found on the internet or something you'd like to plug here at the as, as I, we interface our show? I, I, I'm on the forums. You'll find me on the, the, the forums doing very little. Uh, <laughs> what have you? Um, you find me on the, uh, the, 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 the 2000 AD Facebook page for the War Games Facebook page painting all the warlord figures at the moment but the the only sort of big fan thing i'm involved with is um dog breath zarja's dog breath primarily the uh the yes. uh 2000 ad fanzines uh produced by future quake uh by my good friends richmond clements and uh, dave evans bolt one as he's known um up to so it's been running for many years now we yeah. issues 30 odd for, for both of them i think um and i do the uh the case files where i um basically go over each strontium doc story in 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 uh, turn give a bit of a background to the story talk about new things that have been introduced a bit of a review of it nice. um, and the occasional i, I do, do the occasional strip art as well uh, when when uh, when i can convince them to uh, give, give me a job <laughs> give, send me send me a script um, so yes yeah, so what i'd say is go to future futurequake uh, uk, and you'll find some of the finest fanzines uh, for 2000 ad that uh, you are likely to come across fantastic i'll be sure to link those in the uh in the in the notes for the show as well oh th- that's awesome i have to get those guys in the show at some point i gotta, gotta definitely uh, expand out and get more <laughs> more folks uh, mm-hmm. co- coming on here doing these annuals oh, or specials yeah. and so forth awesome yeah. all right so 
Everyone come back next week as we hold the 1988 Spinnies. Oh, man. We're looking for best art, writing, overall thrill, and favorite month of progs in 1988. We're also adding a new category this year, the MVP. The MVP of 1988 for 2000 AD. Could be a thrill, a character, even a real-life human being. You know, who's the most valuable person for 1988? You tell us. There's some great stuff this year. I'm excited to hear both what you, the listener, and what me and everybody else thinks about it. I'm excited for all that stuff. And until then, I'm Conrad, they're Lay, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splug Deep Birthday!